That's what they do on my day off. <laughs> As you can see, a number of those shots were from our office. My beginning uh, statement was going to be that the family is in trouble, and it's because there are children like that. <laughs> the family is in trouble, and, and all you have to do is turn on uh, the news, open a newspaper, and read about some things that have been happening. Maybe even get together with a friend you haven't seen for years, just to get together with them for lunch. And all of a sudden, you see confirmation about that fact. We want Halifax Christian Church to be characterized as a place where the family matters. We want to see divorce on the decrease. We want to see children growing up in healthy homes and learning about Jesus Christ. So the family isn't a human idea. The family is a God idea. God was the one who performed the first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden. God was the one who decided that a child would have a father and a mother and that both of them would have responsibility in raising that child. But then it's the duty of God's people to strengthen our family relationships. So last week I talked to the children and today since it's Father's Day I'm talking to the fathers and husbands and I realized after I finished this, this is kind of a hard-hitting message I should be nice to fathers on Father's Day, but we can take it, can't we, guys? We, we have big shoulders. So for years, women have been searching for Mr. Wonderful. Like, you see TV programs all the time and movies like talking about Mr. Wonderful or Mr. Perfect. Well, that doesn't exist. But Amazon.com has this novelty doll called Mr. Wonderful. I was going to buy one and bring it in. It's this talking doll, but $89.95, don't want it that bad. But Mr. Wonderful's motto is, you always, he always knows just what to say. So when you squeeze Mr. Wonderful's hand, he has all these amazing phrases intended to appeal to women and to be the answer to all your marital woes. Now here are some examples of the wisdom of Mr. Wonderful. Since I don't have him here today, I'll talk like him. You know, I think it's really important that we talk about our relationship. Actually, I'm not sure which way to go. I'll turn in here and ask for directions. <laughs> you know, honey, you had a hard day at work. Why don't you relax and I'll make dinner? I could. That's a good one, actually. But why don't we go to the mall? Don't you need some new shoes? I don't think so. I, I hate the mall so much, and there is an item of clothing that I need, right? or I did need, but then I received my hockey news magazine, and it was a pair of free underwear from Earth's Work Warehouse. And then I went to my home Bible study at Lou Hewlett's, and Lou gets the same magazine, and they're not his size, so I got two new pairs of underwear. So I don't have to go to the mall now. Okay, back to Mr. Wonderful. The ball game really isn't that important. I'd rather spend time with you. And then, the, kind of like this last one. Can your mother stay with us for another week? But some of those comments are good, and there were some others in there that were good as well, but some of them are kind of sickening. But I, 
got news for you that no one is going to be Mr. Wonderful. So we're going to look at five different ways that husbands can be a blessing in their family and in their marriage. First of all, you need to communicate with your wife. A number of years ago, 100 divorce lawyers were actually surveyed and asked the same question. What's the major cause of divorce in our society? And everyone agreed that it was a breakdown in marital communication. That every meaningful relationship requires significant communication. In James 1, verse 19, James said, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So James is talking about the fact that communication is necessary. And it involves controlling our emotions. And then it involves speaking. And it involves listening. So when I do premarital counseling with couples whose weddings I'm about to perform, I put them through an exercise where they practice getting across their point of view and where they also practice listening. And that is called active listening. So they can hear what their spouse is really saying to them. We need to communicate. But sometimes couples will say, well, we spend a lot of time together. But my question is, okay, is he watching a sport event on TV and you're just sitting there? Because that's not communication. That's proximity. But there's no togetherness there. So maybe we're spending the time together, but we're not communicating. The several family experts actually recommend that parents do this when they come home from work, or if one is a stay-at-home parent, when the other one arrives home, that they spend 10 minutes just sitting on the sofa and recalibrating is what they call it. Just spend that time sharing and talking about their day, and you let your kids know that they're not allowed to come in and interrupt, but this is mommy and daddy time. And then they said, well, this is taking place, but your children are kind of in the area, and they hear mom and dad talking to one another, and they think, you know, mom really loves dad. Dad really loves mom, because they can hear the things that are being shared with one another. And then even single parents can do this as well. Talk to your kids and say, look, I'm going to spend 10 minutes with God right now, and I don't want you to interrupt me. So they spend the time reading, they spend the time talking to God, and once again, children gain an amazing sense of security from knowing that their parents are doing that. 1 John 4, verse 18, John said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And sometimes I think we get afraid, but if there's true love present, then we will be vulnerable. We will want to open ourselves up. We will want to share with one another. See, my goal in communication as a husband must be to give my wife my undivided attention. It's not to... My hearing's not the greatest lately. If my wife snickers every now and then, this message is for me as well. But, but, <laughs> death this year. And every time I speak, it sounds like there's a scare drum going off. I, I have a virus happening in there. So all I can hear is myself twice in everything I say. 
But this, so this is for me, and, and my goal in communication isn't to defend myself, it's not to try and set my wife straight, but rather to try and understand her. And the second thing we need to do, to do, guys, is we need to provide for our wife. That financial security is important to a wife. That she wants to know that she doesn't have to worry about where the next bill payment money is going to come from. And that's why early on in marriage it's important for us to live within our means and, and to be mainly concerned about the necessities being provided in our lives and not all those extras which we seem to dream of and want so badly. For the lack of money for the necessities of life can cause stress in a relationship and through time it can kind of chip away at a marriage. The husband might be able to take it in stride, but the wife might be wired differently, and she is full of fear and full of anxiety. And wives, please don't mistakenly think that things are going to make you happy, and please don't think that they're going to kind of supplement for a husband who doesn't communicate very well with you. And husbands, don't be so driven that you're constantly at work 15 hours a day and you're saying, you know, to your wife, I just got to do this for another year or two and then we'll have all this money and it'll be easy to and we can just post from there. You might not mind the pace, but it will take a toll on your family. So it's not a wish list of desires, but it's a wish list of needs. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul said, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So in today's world, we have many two-income families. We have stay-at-home moms. We have stay-at-home dads. And whatever your situation is, remember that it is to be a God-honoring, Bible-based marriage where we aren't impressed with gaining things, but we're impressed with giving ourselves to God and to one another. And then you also need to commit time to your family. A family psychologist named John Roseman calls what we live in these days the frantic family syndrome. The frantic family syndrome. And he said it's that hectic lifestyle that comes from running our children to all their extracurricular activities. And he says that society has actually shifted from trying to bring about character development in our children to actually developing specific skills in their lives. So we get them into hockey, into baseball, into soccer, into basketball, and football, and gymnastics, and voice lessons, and dance, and choir, and band. And the result is that the parents and the children are overscheduled, they're overwhelmed, and overstressed. So Roseman advises families to actually limit the children's activities so that the family is able to eat a minimum of five meals together each week. And that's where you can actually sit down and enjoy the meal and someone's not just kind of stuffing their meal into their mouths because they've got to rush off somewhere else. And that's not easy to do. It might even sound impossible based upon the schedule that you have with your family right now. But let's work to improve upon that point from where we are right now, and stress the fact that it's important to be together as a family. And a number of studies have been done on successful business people, 
And I said that a common thread kind of winds its way through each of those people. And it was the fact that they grew up in families that ate together. They spent time together as a family. Like I was out golfing this week with a couple of very successful business people. One of them grew up in a home that, where they were very well off, had no concerns about money. The other one grew up in a home where the father had died when he had six children and his mother had to go on social assistance. But both of those families ate together in the evenings. And it has turned out successfully for them in business as well. In Ephesians 5.15, Paul said, Act like people with good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every minute count. So guys, plan some date nights for you and your wife. Plan some nights out with your kids as well. If you could even take them with you on a trip for work, do it. Or take them with you when you run errands. Like I would take the kids with me when I was just going up to the bank here, the TD Canada Trust, and get them in the back seat, strap them into the car seat, take them with me, take them inside. And then, of course, the tellers all go, ooh and ah, over your daughter. But then some of the same tellers are still there. And when I brought in pictures of Shannon and my daughter Shannon and her husband James's wedding, I left the book with them, and they took it to the staff room and showed it around. And, and now I've got pictures of my grandson on my iPhone that I showed to them. But take your kids with you. When you do things like that, play ball with them. Go to a park with them. Quality time cements relationships. Now in his book, Honest to God, Bill Hybels reminds parents, he said, nannies, babysitters, daycare workers, and relatives will not give an ultimate account to God on how your children were raised. You will. So guys, it's so easy for us to get consumed with work and with other activities that we forget about our children. We've got to make time for them. Now before I go any further, I know some of you husbands are probably ready to tune me out. Or maybe you're even hearing Satan's soft little whisper when he says, you can't be Mr. Wonderful. Like no one can measure up to all of these points in this message. But here's the question that we're going to answer. So why should you choose a route that's so different from what the majority of men in our community are doing? And there are two simple reasons. One is because we are commanded in God's Word. Like we're told that the narrow path leads to life and the wide road leads to destruction. So in making this decision, we're on a narrow path, but it's going to have amazing rewards as a result. And then the second reason that we choose this path is because we're going to be happier in the long run. It will provide us with an incredible amount of fulfillment. It will make the relationship with our wife wonderful and peaceful. And my wife can raise her hand to that. Yes, she can. Now, you also need to love your wife. Willard uh, Harley said, when a husband and wife are in love with each other, they are happier, healthier, wiser, and more productive than ever. But when love fades, they lose everything that made them better people. 
What once seemed almost effortless became awkward and difficult. So when love seems to have faded, even in those cases, marriage can still be spared. Like some people will say, well, I don't love her anymore. Or I don't love him anymore. And they can't see how that relationship could possibly be repaired. But it can. If you fell in love with that person once, you can fall in love with them again. And it's basically saying, I'm going to make the choice to love you. I will love you in spite of your faults. And I have faults myself, so I will try and make changes for you because I want to love you. Ephesians 5 is one that we hear read at weddings all the time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to make, excuse me, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and we ask, okay, well, how did Christ love the church? Well, he loved the church so much that he was willing